And reading from verse 1, God's word says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word, and when God's word is read, God speaks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord God, that despite the fact that it's been tried to, to be undermined and even destroyed for the last 2,000 years, it stands strong because this is the living word of the living God. So, Father God, we pray that you'd be with us now over this next portion of time as we study it. Help us to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and make us more like Jesus as a result. Amen. Are any of you doing any home decorating at the moment? Anybody wallpapering the bedroom or emotioning the kitchen, getting ready for Christmas? Nobody. Wow. Who has done Who's ever, ever done any, any home decorating? Good to you. Now, if you have, if you've ever done any home decorating, you'll know three things. It always takes longer than you thought to get it right. It costs far more than you ever anticipated. And it's much messier than you ever thought it would be. Folks, those three statements apply to marriage. That's what we're considering this afternoon. Those three statements apply to marriage. It takes much longer than you thought to get it right. It always costs more than you anticipated. That's why we, we call our wives dear. <laughs> and it's messier than you ever thought it would be. So, this afternoon we are... We, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful and honoured for the invitation to come and teach from this passage. Over the last two years or so, I've been, I've been nibbling my way through 1 Peter, and we're up to chapter 3. So this is simply the next passage. I have no fixed agenda. I haven't heard any rumours about any, any of your situations at home. But I, I, I delight that some of you were at a wedding yesterday. But simply, I'm preaching on this passage because the last time I was here... I preached on the end of chapter 2. Okay, so no hidden agenda. Um, now, we understand that some of you folks may not be married at this moment in time. Perhaps you're young and you haven't reached that stage of life yet. Perhaps your spouse has passed away, and if so, I'm sorry for your loss. 
Perhaps you've suffered the pain of marital breakdown and divorce, as has happened to my own parents. If you're not currently married, that doesn't mean to say that you get the snooze for the next half hour. It, what it does mean is that you listen and you pray for those whom you know and love who are married. Okay? So if you're not married at the moment, listen in and pray for those who are. Before we look at the roles of men and women, which is what Peter's describing here, what I'd like to do is take a sideways step and, and see what the Bible says marriage is and where it came from. So I'm, I'm going to look at the, this passage under three headings. Number one would be marriage as God intended. Number two, wives be submissive. And number three, husbands be understanding. So number one, marriage as God intended. In Matthew chapter 19, some Pharisees approached the Lord Jesus and asked him a question about marriage and divorce. And, and he had no question taking them back to Genesis chapter 2, where we see the first marriage between Adam and Eve. Now this happened before sin had entered the world and everything that the Lord God had made was good. Adam was assigned the task of working in the Garden of Eden and he was given the task of naming the various animals. And he was given a commandment, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 we read, the Lord God said, it is not good this man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So God, in his loving kindness, saw that Adam needed a, a, a suitable helper, one who would complement his strengths and weaknesses. So God put Adam under a, a kind of divine anesthetic and from one of his ribs made a wife for him. Matthew Henry, the preacher from the 17th century, described it this way. Eve was not taken from his head to rule over him, nor from his feet that, he should, that she should be trampled by him, but out of his side to be, his, to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved. That's extremely beautiful, isn't it? And in verse 24 of Genesis 2, we read, Therefore the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the first man and woman, they were to be, they were to be one. One in harmony, one in understanding, one in purpose, one together, just as it is within the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we, we see from Genesis 2 that Marriage is not a human invention, regardless what society may say. Marriage is not a human invention. It's a God-given institution designed by God and blessed by God. In the very first marriage, there were three people, Adam, Eve, and God. Their relationship with God was central to everything that they did. And it was good. It was good. 
Moving forward into the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 5, we see that marriage is a, a, a picture of something far bigger than we could ever imagine. In Ephesians 5 verse 31 it says, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis 2. <coughs> But this is a pr profound mystery because I'm talking about Christ and the church. So this man and woman joined together in marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. Christ is the groom. The church is his bride. So when the, the Christ, the groom, looks down on his bride, then he sees you. In, in great beauty. He sees you in, in great beauty. He's, and his eyes light up in delight when he sees the local church, his bride, which he loves dearly. If ever there was a groom who loved his bride, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. How much does he love the church? Enough to die for her. In spite of all your deficiencies, in spite of all your sin, the Lord Jesus loves you. He loves you. A love that caused him to lay down his life. Christ didn't just say that he loved his bride. He demonstrated it on the cross at Calvary, didn't he? That's how your marriage should be. A, one, a marriage that demonstrates sacrificial love. As we opened 1 Peter chapter 3 here and saw the title to the, the chapter, Submission to Husbands. I wonder what went through your mind. I wonder what, what went through your mind there. So number two is, my second point is, wives be submissive. Peter has been building the case that the Christian is living in a pagan world so that we are meant to march to a different drum to that of the society around us. That means that the Christians living in the first century that Peter was writing to, they had to march to a different drum from the Roman society that they lived in. We, you and I, must march to a different drum to the society that we are living in now. In Chapter 1, verse 15, he called them to be holy as God is holy. In chapter 1, verse 22, he said that, that we are to love one another deeply from the heart. And because they've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, in chapter 1, verse 19, he says that we should submit to those in authority above us. In chapter 2, verse 13, we, Christians, are to submit to kings and governments. Chapter 2, verse 18, we are submit to our earthly masters at work. This means that we are following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus so that we become more and more like him day by day. And as the Lord Jesus was submissive to his father, we read that in Philippians chapter 2, didn't we? That Jesus was submissive, fully obedient to death, even death on a cross. As Jesus was submissive to, to his Father God, then he wants you and I to be submissive to our governments, to your boss at work, and wives. He's asking you to be submissive 
to your husbands. But these words, wives be submissive to your husbands, they, they go against everything in modern society, don't they? They go against everything in modern society. The preacher Alistair Begg said that if a woman went into work dressed as a Viking, she would not get the same reaction as if the same woman dressed in normal clothes sat down at the canteen at work one day and said, I think it's right to be submissive to my husband in the home. What do you girls think? That would get a stronger reaction than going to, into work dressed as a Viking. Dressing up in the most bizarre clothing would not get the reaction that these words get in modern society. But our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Everything God creates has order right the way through it. And so there is nothing demeaning in the statement that a wife must submit to her husband. Submission is not giving in to a bully of a man who dominates his wife. That, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Submission is not giving up your, your personality or your independent thoughts. Submission is voluntary selflessness. Submission is a when a woman's natural gentleness and tenderness or dovetailed with her husband's natural strength and leadership. That's when the family unit works best, according to the Bible. That's when it's at its most God-honouring best. The Anglican preacher Dick Lucas said, the significant truth about a, a Christian woman's relationship with her husband is that it, marry, it mirrors her commitment to her Lord. Now the woman that Peter has in mind here appears to be one who is married to a non-Christian. So he says that her words will not convince her husband that there is a God in heaven who loves him. It's her actions that will convince him. So that means if you are in that Ladies, that hugely, hugely difficult position. And churches tend to have more women married to non-Christians than Christian men married to non-Christian women. That's the way it is. So e even back in the first century, that uh, Peter was acknowledging that this would be the way things would, would work out. So Peter says, ladies, if you're married to a non-Christian, do not nag the gospel, okay? No nagging the gospel. Don't turn up your Christian CDs to a volume that shatters his eardrums. Don't turn on God television when he wants to watch the Newcastle game. <coughs> Which is natural. <laughs> it's, your, it's your godly behavior that will convince him that Jesus is alive and well and living in your heart. So when the wife displays the fruit of the Holy Spirit of out of love would come joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then surely a non-believing husband will ask, what makes his wife like this? Why is my wife so, so wonderful when her sister isn't like that, her cousin's not like that, the next-door neighbor's 
wife isn't like that. What makes my wife so different as she lives out the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And later in the very same chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, this is what, what, what naturally happens. In verse 15 it says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. In other words, as a, 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 a Christian woman is displaying all of the fruit of the Spirit within her household before her non-Christian husband, then he, he's going to say, what is it? What is it? What difference is the gospel making in your heart that makes you the best wife around for miles? Tell me about the reason for the hope you have. So as you live out the gospel through your Christ-like lives, then this will lead to questions being asked. And this is the door of gospel opportunity which we should always be ready to walk through. Verse 3, read with me please. Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I googled the British fashion industry. Not, not, not pictures. No. I have no interest whatsoever. Um, but I, I, I googled what the uh, what the British fashion industry generates to the UK economy. Would you believe it generates ten million pounds every year? Well, it doesn't. It generates 20. 20 billion pounds are spent in the UK fashion industry. Now, they're not getting much from me. <laughs> so, so somebody is spending some really big bucks there. And the, the cosmetic industry, would you believe the cosmetic industry is worth 27 billion pounds a year, of which... You good folks are spending eight billion pounds a year at the hairdressers. Again, that's not me. So it, mu it must be you guys. Now, cosmetics, we, we, we all hope that the person next to you is regularly using soap, soap and shampoo and deodorant, right? We, we, we want that, don't we? That's a good section of the, of the, uh, of the, the cosmetic industry, but an awful lot of the cosmetic industry is spent on trying to halt the aging process. You need to buy this anti-wrinkling cream because you're worth it. <laughs> An ever-increasing amount of money is spent on anti-aging cream and even cosmetic surgery to try and look younger. Or Peter says, that's not the way forward. It's not the way forward. Some of you oldies may know that donkeys years ago, there was a, a song that was, was 
that was popular on the old steam radios that went, keep young and beautiful, it's your duty to be beautiful, keep young and beautiful if you want to be loved. Anybody remember that song? No? Ghastly nonsense. Utter nonsense. Folks, do not believe the lie society tells you that you need to spend huge amounts of money arranging your hair, wearing jewellery, and putting on fine and fancy clothes. This, all of these fade. Your natural beauty fades. Your clothes fade. Peter says, don't let your outward appearance dominate your thoughts and your wallet. No, cultivate an inner beauty that doesn't diminish, but it grows over the years. Outward beauty diminishes. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating to say, look around for the proof, but I, I wouldn't say that because that would be rude, so, so don't do that. Outward beauty diminishes with age. Inner beauty grows with age. And that's the kind of beauty that we should be aiming at. The inner beauty. Inner beauty. Most of us want to look attractive. Some of us couldn't care tuppence. Most of us want to look attractive. Who to? To your husband, to your wife, to your boyfriend, to your girlfriend, to your Instagram followers. But the hidden beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is beautiful in God's sight. That's beautiful in God's sight and that is better than a couple of likes on your Instagram page. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel, back in the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel was sent to anoint the next king of Israel and that would turn out to be a young boy called David. His father Jesse brought out all the big, fine, strapping sons, and Samuel went down the line and said, no, 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 not you. Are there any more? Well, there's the little pest out back looking after the sheep. I suppose I could bring him in. And he was brought before, and Samuel anointed him as the king. And Samuel said something very, very profound and significant. He said, the Lord sees not as man sees Man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. That's what God is interested in. That's what God's interested in. Young folks, that's what God's interested in. Your heart, not your outward appearance. So this gentle and quiet spirit that Peter is talking about can grow in you. That's the beauty that you should be aiming at, not the outward beauty which fades. And it attracts people to Jesus, and it's pleasing in God's sight. Now, folks, the, the, the Bible never forbids wearing jewellery or having your hair done nice or wearing nice clothes. The Bible never congregates that. So please don't judge one another if anybody does choose to make themselves look attractive. But on the other hand, don't neglect yourself and choose to to dress down, to try and appear humble and godly. True beauty comes from the heart, not the shops. And fellas, 
as I've been talking about women here, just in case you, you've been snoozing for the last 15 minutes, thinking this doesn't apply to you, well, I'm sorry, it does. So if you have been snoozing, you're going to have to watch it on catch-up. Because the gentle and quiet spirit was exemplified by the Lord Jesus, so that's for all of us to follow, isn't it? That's for all of us to follow. Number three, husbands be understanding. And here the lady say, yes. Verse seven, husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands are not to rule and to dominate their wives. We are to know them in an understanding way. Men, you are commanded to love your wives. Young men, you are commanded to love your future wives. You're not commanded to love your work or your friends or your, your hobbies or your church responsibilities in the same way as that you are to love your wife. Guys, can I say something massive to you? God does not want you necessarily to be happy. God wants you to be holy. God does not necessarily want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Holy meaning set apart from sin. He wants you to be holy in your marriage. So he said that we husbands should honour our wives. What, what does that mean? It means to attribute value to them. Men, show your wife that you love them and that you value them. Consider her valuable as a, as a, as a Ming vase, not a, not a cheap pot. Let her know by your words and your actions that she's precious to you. Treat her as precious. Tell her that she's precious. Thank God for her, particularly in her hearing. The honour that you must bestow on your wife is because she is a, an individual, but if she's a Christian, which is what Peter is implying here, then she is a precious child of God, bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But men, it starts with you taking the initiative. You must set the pace and take the lead in this. Model yourself on Christ, who was the, the perfect blend of leadership and strength of character, coupled with tenderness and compassion. Now, all of us know that being married is difficult. Marriage is hard. Marriage is one sinner living with another sinner. <coughs> When, uh, whenever I, I hear it's somebody's birthday, I say, congratulations, that's lovely. It means, it means you kept on breathing for another year. Well done. But when I hear of somebody, somebody having a wedding anniversary, whether it be one or, or 55, whether it be, whenever I hear of a wedding anniversary, I say, massive con congratulations, because you've completed another year where you haven't killed each other. That's, that's a massive achievement, isn't it? 
silently, silently nod, your pastor's looking, silently nod, I'm right. All marriages go through difficulties. Your wife's a sinner and she's married to a sinner. So, fellas, it's your responsibility to take a gently bad hand and lead her to the place where you will both receive grace and mercy in abundance. Look carefully what Peter says at the end of verse 7, though, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, if you're not doing that, if you're not honouring your wife the way she deserves to be, the way the Bible commands her to be, then your prayers will be blocked, they'll be hindered, the Bible says. Because the truth is, it's, it's impossible to have a good relationship with God and a broken relationship with, with your spouse. So if you're serious about your relationship with God, then you must make every effort to have a biblical marriage within your household. When wives submit and husbands lead, and when they pray together, and when therefore their prayers are unblocked, the whole town will sit up and notice. I'm coming to an end, but I, I, I want to tell you about a hero that I have. I want to tell you about my hero, and it's a man called Paul Mallard. Paul Mallard is, is, is a recently retired church pastor from Whitcomb ba Baptist in Bath, which is affiliated to the FIC. Any, anybody know Paul? One or two, yeah. One or two. Why? Why is Paul Mallard a hero of mine? Is it because as pastor of Whitcomb Baptist Church, he's seen considerable growth at the church there? No, no, no. God gets the glory for that, not him. Is he my hero? Because a while back, he, he was the president of the FIC. No, no. Is he me, my hero because he's, he's a great and powerful preacher? No, no. He's my hero because 25 years ago, his wife developed what's recently been diagnosed as motor neurons disease. And about 10 years ago, he came and preached at our church when I was pastor of a church in North Shields near Newcastle. He came and preached at our church and he stayed at our house overnight. He became a hero when it was time for us to go to bed. Because the way he gently took his, his, his wife was in, in very poor physical health because of this motor neurons disease. And I, I saw the way that he, he so gently and lovingly took her hand, both hands, and helped her slowly and gently to stand. And then he put one arm, arm round her shoulder and another arm behind her legs. And he carried her upstairs to bed. And that was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. This was a man who day after day after day for 25 long years has cared and loved for his wife who is now 
profoundly disabled. He's done most of the practical stuff of raising their four children. He's the one who's pressed on, loving his wife, knowing that life will never be the same again. This is a man of honour, a man who kept his wedding vows in the sight of God and in the sight of their friends and relations. Paul Mallard understands what, what it has meant to, to be in a covenant with his wife. And he shows that day after day by the way he looks after her. And that, folks, I think he's worthy of being called a hero. I see him regularly at various uh, church events. I've never told him that. Please, please don't tell him that. But, uh, yeah, there's a man worthy of being called a hero. It's always good to consider the Lord Jesus as we preach. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, wrote that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, in Isaiah 53 verse 2, Isaiah wrote, He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The world says you are valuable if you are physically attractive. The Bible says that when the Lord Jesus, he would have no physical beauty that we are aware of. Yet people were drawn to him by his character. They were drawn to him by his character because that trumps his physical appearance many, many times over. He perfectly exhibited the gentle and quiet spirit that Peter is talking about in this passage here, particularly on the night when he was under trial by the Pharisees, by Herod and by Pilate. On the way, sorry, on the cross, he was disfigured and rejected by men. And yet that's where the beauty of his character was more, most perfectly displayed as he said, Father, forgive, they know not what they are doing. Full obedience to the Father, full submission to the Father, perfect love for you and I, sinners such as you and I. He overcame death, he defeated Satan. This is the Son of God whom you and I are called to imitate by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives at home. This is what we're called to do, to imitate the Lord Jesus in our own homes. We need God's help for that, don't we? To the, to the glory of God. Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this letter from Peter. Thank you, Lord God, for the challenges and pray, loving Saviour, that you would, the Holy Spirit would rub off so many rough edges that we have and make us more like Jesus, please. Oh, Holy Spirit, come upon us, those who are married. Come upon us, Lord, and make us the husbands and wives that the Bible demands and our spouses deserve. Those who are not currently married, Lord, if, if, that, if that's a thing in the future for them, then please let them, let them be these kind of husbands and wives that the Bible talks about that you would receive glory and your kingdom 
would be expanded as people are drawn to the gospel. We need your help, Lord God. Be merciful to us, we pray. Amen.